Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday to you. I'm back. Chad and Nate coming at you. Had to go uh, Had to go hug my mom yesterday. Um, so that uh, left me out of the studio. But I'm happy to be back with you and uh, discuss what we saw out there on Saturday night, man. Yeah, and, and before before we got on just now, we we're talking about, before we talk about what we, what we saw on the field, we we're talking about the broadcast. Yes. And uh, your experience being in the booth with Steve Levy and Ryan Harris, and and all the technical difficulties you, you guys ran into, and how and you and Mark were commiserating on what it's like when the monitor goes out or you can't see the play again to help the fans understand what was going on. Can you talk a little bit about that struggle. It's uh, you know, there's <laughs> there's many many elements to the broadcast, and obviously the guys up in the booth, uh, from a fan perspective, are. Uh, you know, the ones that they hear and see, but there's, you know, there's trucks and trucks of people. There's camera guys and producers and directors and How spotters. many people would you say are involved in a production? I think there was uh, seven or eight cameras for this one. Um, so those are the camera guys themselves. Plus there's a guy in the truck who's directing all that. Plus there's a producer who's getting into the ears of the guys in the booth. There's the folks in the replay. There's a whole separate truck. That's the replay truck. And that, that's where they store all the clips and get all the highlights ready. So there's so many elements to this. Where is that truck? Um, it's in the all, bowels of the stadium. All those trucks are in the bowels of the stadium. So when you, if you've ever been in the bowels of the stadium, it's kind of those open areas where those trucks pull in. Between the two locker rooms. Between the two locker rooms. All those TV trucks are there. That's also where the buses pull in and out of for the players, uh, for whatever teams. Um, yeah, so there's probably six trucks for a broadcast like Saturday night. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly how many people are directly involved, but it's uh, it's not ten; it's dozens and dozens. Um, I mean, there's a guy who's got to connect all those wires all around the stadium. There's just so many people involved. But as you would guess, the first action of the season, the preseason action, uh, I think everybody wants a couple of plays back. Yeah, uh, myself included. I'm sure all the guys in the booth would probably say the same things. First action of the year, uh, not, not exactly at your best. Uh, you know, playoff uh, standards just yet. And so, then, what was what was one of those things you said where you're like, "Ugh, I uh, could have done that." <laughs> I think I ended a sentence with offense, and I meant defense. Ooh. And um, and you know, the like I said the word, and like the 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 verbal period came out of my mouth, and I I literally cringed in the booth. My physical reaction was to like cringe, and I was like, oh. I screwed that one up. What do you mean the verbal period came out of your Oh, mind? you know, like when you when you and I... You are, said period? No, like you and I were on the radio, yep. and I finished a sentence. Right. You know, there's a verbal period that oh. we use with our inflection and tone right. that lets everybody know I'm done talking, <laughs> right. and it's your turn to talk. And I was like, well, if you want to be able to get blah, 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 blah done, you got to really play well on... I meant to say defense, and I said offense, and it was exact... Yeah, you know, I think the defense was on the field. It made no sense mm. to what I said. 
Um, you and I, idiot. And I, yes. And I was like, okay, you know, next play. Next play. What's right. the most important to play in the game? The next play, Chad. Don't try to overdo it. Don't, don't try to come back all strong and hard. Just slip back into the broadcast. Let that cringy moment go and move on. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool listening to you guys because, you know, we talk on here every day, and it's these 10-minute segments, right? Right. And you can talk for a couple minutes. You can make a point, whatever it is. But just the, the, the art of of having commentary between plays. You don't, you only have, you know, 40 seconds between plays. And of course you're, you know, your, your play by play guy is, is doing his thing. And then you and Ryan are trying. So do you have like a, a number of seconds essentially that you can like, is it like six seconds or 10 seconds? Is there a clock in your head that's telling you how long you can talk? How, how are you trying to formulate that? And, and how, and what's the time limit you're trying to keep on your comments? It's always situational because it is a preseason game there's a little bit more looseness to the broadcast. So normally in a regular season game, Steve wants the mic back by the time the quarterback is approaching the center. Got it. So he can set the scene. Third and 10, you know, second quarter, whatever, you know, all that kind of stuff that the play-by-play guy does to set the scene. Um, Because it's a preseason game, loose with that. Now, particularly late in the game, when, you know, a lot of guys who are unrecognizable to the fans are playing, um, then that's when you can expand upon your point a little bit longer and start to go into the play a bit. Um, so, yeah. Was there like, a, oh, the Broncos are on defense. I'm the defensive specialist. I'm going to talk on this drive. And then when the Broncos are on offense, Ryan was like, I'm the offensive guy. I'm going to talk more. Was there any of that kind of uh, feel? We had a number of discussions throughout the week, and we even did a little bit of a rehearsal just to get a sense of that. And the, and the thought was, Okay, yeah, your offense, I'm defense. Let's kind of play to our roles. But when I see something offensive I think is good, I can either frame it from a defensive perspective or I can talk about the offense and just, just talk positively right. about the offense or that play right. or that particular uh, set of execution. So, um, because it would be an uneven broadcast because if, if it was just Ryan talking about the offense, well, you know, there was the two touchdowns um, in the first half. So Ryan would have all those moments to to talk about that. Right. And, you know, what would I say defensively? I think P.J. Locke got a nice hit in. You know, uh, Baron Browning got a sack. Right. There was an interception. But those aren't the same broadcast moments that touchdowns are. Because you get to do a little cliche phrase with a touchdown. Did you you have one in the basket that you were going (laughs) to pull out? I try to be organic. No, I don't try to. You don't have some that are dialed up? No, no. I try to be because I want it to to fit. And and I think it sounds a little. You got to have a signature phrase. I mean, I know our listeners were trying to help you out with that. You know, you didn't get to use the phrase that pays. I I did not. You didn't get to do the giraffe high stepping through a snake pit. I I had it written on my my chart. (laughs) I was ready for it, but uh, the Broncos' run game wasn't very... Nobody uh, was high stepping through a snake pit. There was no explosiveness. There was no great runs in it. And certainly wasn't going to use that phrase on a cowboy. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) that that phrase that pays is still still an arrow in the quiver, as they say. Oh, nice. Well, the text line is complimenting you, Chad. I'll read a couple of them. I thought you did a great job, Chad. That Thank was you, one Tessa. of them. Uh, Chad, my dude, you killed it on the broadcast. One of those two other guys need to go, though. Three's too many on the broadcast. Would have rather had solo Chad Brown. Looking forward to a stinking Chad broadcast. Ooh. That begs the question, would you be able to do, because you're a driver in this show. Right. Would you ever be able to do the play-by-play? Would you be able to do what Steve Levy did? Okay, so interestingly enough that you asked this, so when we sat down to do our rehearsal, obviously the last time I did a game was last year in January. 
And since then, um, I've been killing it on the radio. I've been a driver on this show. Right. So we're sitting there in the rehearsal and the director's there, the producers are there, the guys who are responsible for the camera guys are there. So it's like 10 people in the room. So it's a, it's a different experience because when you're in the booth, you're just talking into your headset and your microphone. You know lots of people are listening, but there's no other like physical people in the room. So these guys in the room who are hanging on our words, so I got right. a little bit of nerves going. And I'm realizing right as we're about to start, I'm not the reactor anymore. I'm the driver. And I was like, I would think I would feel more comfortable being in Steve's place Kind of setting the scene. Mm. Not that I've ever done that before, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I would like to try that as time goes along. Obviously, Dave Logan has made that transition from former player color guy to now being the play-by-play guy. Um, so yeah, in the sense of challenging myself, that would be the next challenge out there for me. I look forward to it. But uh, no, I'm going to leave that to Steve because Steve was awesome. Steve is an incredible pro, and I was very lucky to work with Steve this uh, last weekend and looking forward to next week as well. Uh, when we come back, we've got to get to uh, some of the things I saw out there from a Broncos standpoint. Execution, Coach Hackett, Josh Johnson, the receivers, lots to get to. That's next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Every time I hear this song, it takes me back to uh, Elliot Junior High School breakdancing in the gym. You were breakdancing? Yes. Okay. Well, good to describe it. What kind of moves were you busting out? Were you doing back spins and like oh, head back, spins? Oh, don't. Totally. Were you popping and locking too? Or no, no. My, my, I had a ground game. Bopping? I had a ground game. What is it called? Up rock. Okay. You know, because you, you up rocked before you got on the ground. Yeah. Then my ground game was strong. My windmill was uh, not the best, but I could backspin, I could headspin, I could handspin on one hand. What? Yeah. Can you still do that? Uh, How I, many bones would you break if you tried to do that right now? The headspin would definitely be the most difficult. Really? Yeah. You don't think the, the handspin would just snap your wrists? Uh, I think the wrist would be okay. I think for me it would be the elbow, man. Ooh, yeah. All my, yeah, my yeah, elbows Jonas are back Griffiths. slapping. Ooh, offensive line. So 40, just slapping them in the head, huh? 40 seconds into the game. Jonas Griffith yeah. dislocates his elbow. I saw the replay of it. That thing definitely hyperextended pretty good. How did it happen? He fought, fell on it? So as a defender, you know, when you're not quite in position where you can put your shoulder on somebody and you stick your arm out there uh, and then one of your teammates comes from behind and hits you kind of in your elbow. Ow. And so your, your hand's on the runner and the runner's going one direction. Your teammate's going the other direction. And it's a little bit too much force for your elbow. And that thing uh, hyperextends. So that was 40 seconds into the broadcast. Uh, so that kind of put a weird, you know, uh, it kind of disrupted the rhythm from a broadcast standpoint. Obviously, I feel bad for Jonas Griffith. And, you know, evidenced by uh, the roster move made to pick up Joe Schobert, yep. uh, the Broncos and George Payton decided that uh, they had all their hopes and trust in Jonas Griffith. And now uh, moving on to Joe Schobert because Alex Singleton and the uh, – other inside linebackers in the game made some Stern plays. Out. They were solid, but uh, I think there was something left to be desired. Justin Sternad was a name that at, at the beginning of last year that, that, that was hot. Yeah, it was a hot name. A high hopes on him is a rangy, athletic guy who could cover uh, that kind of inside linebacker. So, so did you not see that guy out there? Did you see a guy who who can't uh, who can't live up to that bill? I would say um, if you look back at the broadcast. The Cowboys, and I said it a number of times during the broadcast, the Cowboys had their most success running the football between the tackles. 
the edge guys, Baron Browning, uh, Malik Reed played early. Uh, all those guys on the edge did a good job of forcing most of the stuff back inside. Nick Benito had a couple of rookie mistakes out there. Uh, but the edge guys, for the most part, kept things contained on the inside. So the Cowboys were able to run through the middle because those inside linebackers were not playing off of blocks well. They were over-pursuing. They weren't understanding what their cutback responsibilities were. So uh, there was something to be desired. And it's it's a, it's a bit of a fan thing, and it's a bit of a broadcast thing where sometimes, oh, you know, Alex Singleton's got seven tackles. He must be doing good. He must, no, if they're all seven of those were five or six or ten yards downfield, I don't think that's necessarily what you're looking for. Um, so there was something left to be desired, and the roster move, I think, um, it's probably the right thing. Uh, Justin Stranad is a little bit more of a hybrid safety inside linebacker. I think his coverage skills are good. Um, but there were some run game issues the other day. Uh, Alex Singleton, again, left something to be desired from a run fit perspective. Uh, tackling was pretty crisp, but the run fits and understanding of all that was, uh, you know, not what I think they were hoping for. Jamar Johnson also led the team in tackles. That's probably not a good thing, right? When no. you're safety. If your safety's leading team in tackles, I uh, know obviously it's a preseason action, so things can be skewed out there, but that's generally not a good sign. You want one of your two inside linebackers to be your top tackler. Uh, if your safety's number two or three, that's okay, but typically your inside guys should be cleaning stuff up before it gets to the second or third level. Let's talk about that running game a little bit because you talked about um, the Cowboys having success between the tackles running the football. Yeah, uh, The Broncos clearly did not have success running the football. What, what was to account for that? Uh, Obviously, they're backups in there, but it's the Cowboys' backups as well. The the running back room just wasn't very healthy uh, for the Broncos. So I don't think it was really a focus of the game plan. If you're going to evaluate your run game and try to push it forward from a coaching standpoint, do you do it on a week where so many guys are are, are down? You know, they had two those two guys who finished the game at the end were literally signed the day before. So that's right. that's a it's a difficult evaluation. So I think Nathaniel Hackett number one wasn't trying to press the issue. Uh, there was some uh, you know lack of health up front as well. Uh, so I don't think it was a focus of the game plan, but I don't think the execution was good. I think if the execution had been good, then Coach Hackett may have you know utilized it a bit more. But clearly, it ended up being a game where the backup quarterbacks Brett Ripon and Josh Johnson were the stars given the opportunity to show what they can do. Um, and so it ended up being that kind of game. Which you can't blame them for because that is that is a battle. A camp battle they're trying to figure out, right? right? Josh Johnson, Brett Rippon, who's going to be the backup? Looks like Josh is the leader in the clubhouse. But at the same time, there isn't a running back battle that they wanted to flesh out in that game. I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, obviously, Javante and Melvin are going to make the team. Mike Boone is going to make the team from a special teams perspective as a third running back. I suppose there could be a, a battle behind that to see who makes it as the fourth and fifth back if you carry that many. Uh, and that, but that's probably going to be more determined on special teams than, than anything else. Yeah. Uh, you've got three guys who you trust to run the ball, to catch the ball, to execute their, uh, pass blocking assignments. You got all those guys. So I'm not sure what else you could ask for from that room other than some guys who can contribute and play well on special teams. 
Yeah, and, and nothing's going to look per- perfect in preseason. They found a way to win, right? Nathaniel Hackett's first game as a head coach found a way to win. I was watching him on the sideline. He just looked very calm, very comfortable in the position of the guy who's actually pulling the levers. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, Vic Fangio, bless his heart, <laughs> you look at him during a game, and he looked like he's trying to remember if he left the stove on in his house. He's just like, uh, I don't know. And he he know he's not talking intelligent any- observation. <laughs> he's not talking to anybody. Right. He's just over there alone. Whereas, right. whereas Nathaniel Hackett just felt like, he was like clicked into the groove of the moment, you know, and obviously the two minute drill at the end uh, kind of reflected that, that he was so dialed in, but he just seemed comfortable out there. I, I thought it was a tremendous debut. You go against a coach who's been around a long time, Mike McCarthy, and your team outperforms his in virtually every single way offensively, defensively, execution, turnovers penalties, attention to detail, focus, understanding the situation on the field and getting your guys to execute that situation, to take advantage of the the last possession of the half, knowing you're going to get back-to-back possessions, you get the ball in the in the second half, just all that little stuff. Here's a dude who's dialed into the situations. Here's a dude who has coached his team in a, in a, in a, a well enough understanding that they can go out there and execute. Because there's some coaches who literally, I'm sure they've done some two-minute situational stuff, but haven't dialed it all the way in just yet, and their teams could not possibly go out and execute that drive that way. Did it help to have a quarterback who's 36 years old on the field? Yeah, that certainly helped. But at the same time, you had a bunch of rookie and young receivers out there with that 36-year-old quarterback who knew the situation. They uh, uh, Montrell caught a pass, immediately gets up, and runs and hands the ball to the official. Yep. So did he learn that in college? I don't know. Was that something that was taught by Coach Azani? I, I don't know. But there was a guy who understood the situation. He's not spinning execute. the ball or, like, tossing it. Nothing dumb. Runs it over to the ref. Gets the ball so they can get lined up as quickly as possible. They don't waste any seconds. Don't forget the Cowboys blew that in a playoff game last year. Right. That The exact other team on the field couldn't execute that situation in a playoff game. Yet a rookie receiver for the Broncos understands that in his rookie year, in his debut game in the NFL, understands that situation already. That's a leg up. That's huge if it's coming from Nathaniel Hackett and his staff. Yeah, Nathaniel Hackett has talked about the the importance of uh, stealing a possession at the end of a half. If you can do that, you got to do it, especially when you're getting the ball to start the second half. And he did that in the game. Um, I think it was a Baron Browning sack. Brought up third and 12, like a little over a minute, and he calls a timeout. Yep. And then, um, you know, fourth down, they try, or I'm sorry, third down, they try a pass. It's incomplete, and they get that ball with a minute left and are able to work that clock and get and get points on the board. So a um, lot different from what we've been seeing around here, and it's it's a great thing to see. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about both those quarterbacks, how well they played. Uh, the Fan War Room preseason special will be Thursday, noon at 2 at Brothers Barbecue off I-25 in Arapaho. Please stop by and come see Zach, Orlando, Noshan, James, and Cecil chopping it up about what we saw on Saturday and what we expect to see this Saturday against Buffalo. That's next. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan.
were a couple of Broncos who stood out from Saturday's game against the Cowboys. Um, Barrett Browning on the uh, Baron Browning on the defensive side of the ball was certainly a guy we're going to get to as the show goes along. Uh, but Josh Johnson um, was tremendous in his action, and uh, we, we, you and I talked about it a bit on Friday when he um, he left the production room, production meeting um, on Thursday. Myself, Steve, Ryan, everyone else in the room was like, "Oh my gosh." This guy is awesome. This guy is, he's got his head, he's head in the right direction. He's confident yet humble. He's, you know, going to be such a great addition and inspiration to guys in the locker room. Um, and so we were all rooting for him. Then he goes out and, you know, after a little bit of a, a shaky start, um, and then goes out and dials it up and plays great. 12 straight completions. Um, numbers were great despite uh, having some drops from his receivers. Uh, yeah, he ended up 16 of 23, 172 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, led the team down the field, two-minute drive. It was just uh, so much to be said for, you know, uh, the, the poise, the leadership, the, the, the ball placement. And then uh, Brett Rippon comes in, and, you know, it wasn't quite the same level. I don't think he was playing uh, with the same level of teammates, but he wasn't bad either. So I know as much as folks want to anoint Josh as the pure backup here, I think Brett will probably get a chance to go in the game first hmm. next time around. Kind of, and, a, a, kind of a Teddy Drew, Drew Teddy thing like I, they were doing last year? I think there has to be a, a sense of competition here because... Yeah. Um, Unless they already know. Unless dude, they're already comfortable with that. Coaches talked about how it's it's pretty tight. That Josh is a little bit ahead, but it's yeah, pretty that's tight. What, that's what Vic said last year. <laughs> and it was tight. We saw both guys play exactly, but they all always knew it was going to be Teddy. Yeah, well, because you know what I'm saying. But it had less. Did it have? They might like Josh better. Did it have less to do with Teddy versus Drew, and more to do with the fact that I'm a defensive coach, I'm a defensive minded guy. I'm just going to go with the guy who I perceive to be right. the less turnover risky guy. Yeah, you're right. There's a there's a different group of gentlemen making the decisions now. Right, right. With, with, with a completely different criteria <laughs> for their decision making. Correct. Yeah, I think I think Josh Johnson. Um, I believe he's probably the better fit because he's more similar to Russell Wilson mm-hmm. playing style. You know, um, Brett Rippon is is very robotic. He's very technical. Uh, he's he's really smart. He understands what's going on out there. But is he going to kind of scratch that same itch that Russell does if he goes in there? I think the playing style would be so different if 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 Brett Rippon were to go in. It might it might be a little hiccup in the process. Mm-hmm. But either way, either way. If Russell Wilson goes down, you got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want that problem. You got a big problem. But Josh Johnson, again, I think he showed well. Um, he said, you know, the for the backups, the preseason is the regular season because he recognizes this is yep. probably going to be my opportunity. Russell Wilson doesn't miss very many games. Um, outside of last year, he never missed a game. So uh, Josh Johnson recognized this is my one opportunity or uh, opportunities to shine yep. and took advantage of the opportunity. I think that's what you want from a coaching perspective, you, I want my guys to take advantage of the opportunity. If I give them time on the field and we dial up the right plays and I give them guys in the huddle who can go out and make plays, that they seize that opportunity. And Josh Johnson did that clearly. Yeah, when, when we watch practice, you know, we're looking for 
How's Russell Wilson connecting with with Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton and the starters? And how is that offensive line gelling and stuff? And we don't always pay attention to the twos and the threes, but those guys are getting reps together every day, and they fortify a pretty strong connection. During the season, for example, you got guys on the practice squad. you got a practice squad quarterback. you got practice squad receivers who throw to each other every single day and actually develop a really good connection. So if you end up seeing them in the game together, it works out because those guys are have are on unspoken terms where you know they have that muscle memory of each other. They're communicating well without using words, and you see that connection. You saw that connection with Josh Johnson and Brandon Johnson. You saw it with Josh Johnson and Seth Williams. You saw it with Josh Johnson and Kendall Hinton. Uh, Jalen Virgil had a great game, but that was that was with Brett Rippon. So um, it's very unlikely you're going to see Josh Johnson and Brandon Johnson on the field together in a regular season game. If you do, something has gone wrong. But what you can rest assured with is that if that does happen, you've seen it. These guys actually connect out there. So don't be surprised if we have some injuries on this team. Those guys do have to be out there. They can make some stuff happen. Now, you know, it's it's one game and it's uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the replays and all of that kind of made some things difficult to assess from a TV standpoint. But what did you think of these young receivers, Montreal, Washington, Brandon Johnson, Seth Williams, Kendall Hinton? What did you think of these guys? Yeah, so so my impression was that Brandon Johnson is the guy who's probably the most ready to mm-hmm. just be out there and be a consistent um, complement to Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. I think Seth Williams has uh, the physical ability and he's gaining the kind of confidence that you need to go out there and do it. But I think that Brandon Johnson's route running ability, his, his, his size, he's like a tweener. He's got good hands. He's got good body control. He seems to be in the right place at the right time and good confidence. You know, he, he had a ball kind of go through his hands on a slant. Um, there was a, it was a hot ball. It came in hot. He put his hands up a little late and it went through it. Yep. They went right back to him. Say, next play. And not only did they go right back to him, they called a double move. Yep. Next play, which shows you something about the mentality of the play caller there. Which I, which I love that. You know, let, let's go back to him, and let's not just go back to him on a short pass. Let's hit him deep. He responded with an amazing catch. He got a, he, they, you know, he got a flag called as well. So I think Brandon Johnson is, is polished um, in a way that probably makes coaches pretty excited. Kendall Hinton also is that kind of steady guy who, you know, didn't flash a lot during camp, but, but had a nice touchdown down the left side. And I had someone tweet at me after that touchdown, and I think the same person texted in and, and wants me to give you crap because you called it a push-off. It was a little bit of a push-off, wasn't it? Eh, I mean, it was a little hand. It was was a hand check. It It wasn't a a push-off. Well, I call it a... a, You call it a veteran push-off. A veteran soft (laughs) push-off. Right. So, yeah. Very very defensive, uh, biased commentary there by you, Chad. It wasn't a full... It was a push-off. It wasn't a full extension. The elbow wasn't locked. It was just soft, creating a little bit of space. But it was veteran because what he did is he slowed down because that initiates the contact from the defender... And then that soft push-off within creates the separation. It, it just happened well so fast. Yeah, it happened so fast. It was slick. It was down low. Yeah. You push up high and extend it, they'll see it. It was down low, and it was quick. No, it was a nice catch. I was just teasing you. But um, I think those three guys, Kendall Hinton, Seth Williams, and um, <clears throat> Brandon Johnson. But then there's Jalen Virgil who who presents, you know, we've seen him flash at camp on some deep balls. He's a guy who... Is you said the the coaches said he's the fastest guy out there, right? They want to get him some deep balls. They yes. want to get him some deep balls, and he he had three for eighty threes so right. with a twenty seven yard average. Clearly, they got him the ball deep, and they like what he can do. So, what do you do with this receiver room? You know, because you got KJ Hamler who they like but hasn't taken a snap, mm-hmm. and is he healthy enough? Jerry Judy has 
you know, had an underwhelming camp compared to his previous couple camps. Obviously, he is the number two until proven otherwise. Corlin Sutton, your clear-cut number one. Montreal Washington is going to make the team as a returner, and I think he deserves that. I mean, I, th- I think he's played well as a receiver, too. But where do those other guys fit in, as well as Tyree Cleveland, who's mm-hmm. a special teams core guy? And they're saying, oh, you know, he's got a spot because we love what he can do on special teams. So you do the math. There ain't room for all those guys. A couple of them are probably going to end up on the practice squad, but it's a it isn't a it's a wealth of talent there. Those guys stepped up and made it hard on the coaches, and that's what we, you know, the coaches would always tell us when I was a receiver trying to make the team, being a preseason guy out there trying to make those plays. They said, "Make it hard on us, guys. Make it hard on us to try to figure out which one of you guys belongs." And um, oftentimes, all three of you belong, but we can only keep one. So you know that's the tough part of this time of year. And these coaches, they do respect. The, the sacrifice of these guys. And so, you know, these next couple of weeks are really hard for coaches having to say goodbye to some of these guys who've done everything you've asked them to do, who have made plays on the football field, and whose careers might be over here. So um, a lot of drama during these preseason games that we don't necessarily get to follow. I think, can you, I'll have to look it up during the break here, but can you protect certain guys on the practice squad? Because, you know, these if Brandon Johnson goes on the practice squad, uh, then somebody's going to take him right away. Somebody can take him. I think you can keep him if you match the salary he was going to get. If, if someone's going to put him on their active roster, then you can pay him the same amount and keep him on your practice squad, I believe. Okay, well, hopefully yeah, we can you know get some uh, some clarification on this during the break, dive into the, the Google machine here. Yeah, because if these guys continue to show up as well as they've showed up this Saturday throughout the preseason, and there's only so many slots in your wide receiver room, and so many slots that we just talked about, K.J. Hamler, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, uh, you know, the special teams guys, those kind of guys are going to take up spots, then, yeah, you cannot keep them all. And they've got to go someplace. You put them on practice squad. Well, then if I'm somebody in this division, I'm plucking them right away if i got a wide receiver issue or need. Not only do you get the intel on Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson, but you get a, a young guy who's talented and has showed up and played well in the preseason. I think that's about as good as you can get from uh, a, a easy roster addition from stealing someone off someone else's practice squad. So seeing them in person, like you got to, mm-hmm. if you had to choose one of those guys, Brandon mm-hmm. Johnson, Kendall Hinton, Seth Williams, or Jalen Virgil to be on your active roster, Ooh. who would it be? Don't answer, chat. Don't answer. Wait. Let's do that next. Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Chad and Nate, and uh, before the break, you did what we call a radio tease. Yeah, you want me to re-tease? Re-tease me. I'm going to re-tease. Let's reheat the re-tease. Okay. We talked about the wide receiver numbers. These guys are all playing well, but the numbers just don't allow you to keep all of them. So I'm asking you to pick one out of these four guys, all of whom showed up on Saturday night. Jalen Virgil, Brandon Johnson, Kendall Hinton. Seth Williams, you got to keep one on your active roster. Who's it going to be? Ooh. Oh, man. That's tricky. Um, I like all those guys. I think they all bring something to the table. Um, but Jalen Virgil teaches the one thing you can't coach. Well, it doesn't teach you. He has the one thing you can't coach, and that's tremendous speed. Mm. And uh, we, not to say that uh, he's, you know, any kind of second coming of uh, Tyreek Hill, but we see what speed does to an offense and how that opens things up underneath and allows so much 
things to flourish. And if you're a coach who, who I expect to be as creative as Nathaniel Hackett, you've got that guy on your roster. You can utilize him in so many ways to uh, dictate defensive coverages and how all those things work. So if forced to, then that's where I would go because of what the effect that he would have upon the rest of my offense and how he would open up my play calling abilities. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you had said I was forced to go with any of those guys, I'd take them all happily. There would be no guy I'd go, no, I don't want that guy. But since you've asked me to choose just one, that's it where I would go. You get one more. Oh, I get one more. You get one more because they, they might keep five, they might keep six. And you think about it, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Montreal, Washington, Tyree Cleveland. Oh, wait, I guess that's five right there. That is five, yeah. And you put Jalen at six. Yeah. Whew, that's tough, man. That's tough. So a lot of this is ba- is is kind of depending on K.J. Hamler's health as well. Mm-hmm. Talk about the speed thing. K.J.'s pretty darn fast, too. He does a lot of what you were just talking about Jalen Virgil doing. Last year when K.J. was healthy, I went down to Minnesota and watched those joint practices, and he was just faster than everyone out there. It was clear. And that was him who caught the bomb in the game, right? Yeah, it was. Split the safeties? Yep. yep. Drew Locke just dropped a dime. <laughs> Drew Locke. Drew yes. Locke just with a throw that not a lot of quarterbacks can make. <laughs> it's so funny. I we talked Drew Locke. Right? We talked about that play like for days afterwards mm-hmm. and whether or not Teddy could have made the same throw. We did. We Our, breathlessly it, talked about it. Isn't that. it nice we're not talking about that anymore? Yes, I am happy the conversation has shifted. The tone has shifted overall as well. Yeah, so so KJ's fast, man, but KJ's been hurt, and he hasn't been practicing. He might have come back a little too soon in many camps and OTAs, maybe had a setback. It could be the hip issue, but he had a hip surgery and an ACL surgery. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what they, what they do. It's going to be a tough choice either way. Yeah, because, well, there's the crowded wide receiver room where there's Enough talent. Um, there's more talent than there are roster spots. Right. So and, is that is that a is that a uh, problem? I call it a problem. It's a good problem, but is that a problem that every single NFL team is facing? Because of you know you hear all the time. Look, every draft, every draft for the next ten years is going to have is going to be stacked with wide receivers. Those are the type of athletes we're creating. That's what's coming up through the system, right? These guys are just really skilled, very talented, and uh, so is that. Does that change the way you're talking about stashing guys on practice squad, worrying about them getting plucked off? Or is every team in the NFL having this issue? Uh, I think maybe if you were to look around the league after the final cuts, um, there would be more receivers capable of coming in and helping you than any other position on the field. You know, as far as I got an injury at offensive tackle, yeah, you are literally, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel. I got an injury receiver. Well, I get guys who can come and play for me right now. You know, yeah, from Cole a, Beasley's on the streets, right? Right. From so from a, a GM perspective, um, it's it's a, it's been a weird receiver time because suddenly they've gained value as far as percentage of the salary cap and record breaking contracts. Um, big trades happened to move receivers around, so all that has happened. So the top upper echelon of receivers has become more valuable. At the same time, there is a, I won't call it a glut because that's not the right term, but there's more receivers than there are roster spots, more talented quality receivers than there are roster spots. So guys like Cole Beasley can come in and, and help you and be your third down slot receiver probably with two days of practice is still on his couch 
yeah. waiting for an injury to happen. Because who wants to pay him $15 million? No one does. Right. So there's, someone's just going to wait for the right injury and force him to be desperate and take uh, a couple million bucks a year kind of thing. But, yeah, it looks like this Bronco receiver room has enough talent where there will be talented players who won't make the final roster, who may go on practice squad, and then be eligible to be plucked away. But that's not just the only position. There's a fight at tight end as well. And there's only so many slots in that room. Mm. And Coach Hackett uh, and Coach Alden want a variety of skill sets. And there's no true multi-pronged skill set guy. So you get a Tomlinson who's a blocker. You have an Albert O who showed some of his blocking deficiencies Ooh. out there on Saturday. Olé! Yeah. <laughs> He's bullfighting out there. It's like, dude, drop your... Drop your butt, bend your knees, man. Give yourself a base. You can't take on anybody standing straight up. What are you? What are you doing? Also, though, like, don't put Albert Owen pass protection. Yeah, like if you want to, if you want to, like you said, have each guy do a different job. Don't make Albert O do the job he can't do. And I know you want it's preseason. You want to figure out if he can do it, right? But he can't do that. He cannot pass pro. Pass pro is like the the hardest part of being a tight end because oh, yeah. it's just you know it, the, the best chance you have is to quick set him and just pop him. And I, 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 did he kind of drop like he was a tackle and try to try to block him on that? Uh, I think he tried to quick set him, but he got so high up he mm-hmm. had no base underneath him. So yeah, and he had the same thing with some running plays. So first preseason action. Hopefully there there will be some improvement because there would just be some basic technique things that Albert O could do that would give him an instant better shot. You or know? just like some basic like like fighting stuff. Just hit him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's not about technique, it's about sticking your face in there and actually delivering a blow. Right. To stone the guy. Yeah. And then and then you can bring your feet and your hands and work some technique, but you have to deliver a blow. Right. You cannot catch these guys. They're too big, too fast, too strong, too technical. You cannot let them hit you first because they'll win. Yeah, so you got your receiver type in Albert O, who showed his blocking deficiencies. You got your your fullback type in Andrew Beck. So how do you divvy this room up, considering, you know, I'm sure you'd love to keep another receiver, so it would be great for one of these guys to be a jack-of-all-trades, which in my mind is the Eric Solvent fits that role the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so who gets left out of this tight end rotation? You know, we know Albert O's going to make it. Um, I think Albert, uh, Eric Saubert presents the most variety of skill set. Um, but Mike Thomason had a nice, uh, Eric Thomason had a nice catch down the middle of the field. Right. And a lot of times we talk, we, we, we label a tight end as just a blocker just because he hasn't been in a system that's allowed to fl- him to flourish as a receiver. Right. Same happened with Eric Saubert. It's like, oh my gosh, he can actually catch the ball, you know? Well, he, maybe he's never been in a system that taught him or that gave him the opportunity to catch the ball. This system gives these tight ends a chance to come across the middle and they're going to be open. That Eric Tomlinson catch, it wasn't nothing fancy. He was just like a little basic cross or whatever it was, and he was sitting right there open in the zone, and you hit him, and yeah, he made the catch. Uh, we actually got a good camera look at that one. He came off the, the line well. After a little bit of a block, you know, recognized the zone coverage, settled down into the middle of it, you know, started to turn his shoulders so the quarterback could see him, but the quarterback already recognized he was open, delivered a good ball to him. Was what, 16, 17-yard completion? 17, yeah. Yeah, so it was really a, a really nice play for a guy who, yes, we have categorized as, oh, you're the best blocker, therefore you're never going to be a receiver on this for this offense. Um, but, you know, That's shows- exactly what makes you a good receiver on the offense. Right. Is people thinking that you're not a good receiver is that you're just a blocker. All of a sudden, they forget about you. Right. And there you are, wide open in the middle of the field. For, you know, 17 yards. Yeah. Yeah, moving chains. I want to ask you about uh, the receivers real quick because uh, 
Someone texted this in, and it was in context of what we were talking about. In your opinion, if you have an elite quarterback, does it matter who the receivers are? So, so, so the, the point is, with receiver, can, can Russell Wilson go out there and beat the Chiefs with Seth Williams, Brandon Johnson, and Jalen Virgil? <laughs> no. Why? Uh, because, as you know, Brandon Johnson, r- rookie. Uh, Seth Williams, year one. Uh, Jalen Virgil, rookie. At some point, they're going to be, because as a receiver, you're asked to respond to live action as far as coverages. And as a defensive coordinator, if I know you've got, I've got two rookies and a first year receiver out there who I'm trying to defend, then all we got to do is show some, you know, tricky coverages where they can't tell whether it's zone or man, whether it's cover two or cover three. But Russell can tell. Well, yeah, but that's great if Russell can tell. If the receiver's going to cook, baby, he's going to cook. He's going to take off and he's going to look for something. Bang! <laughs> the receiver's got to go to the right spots because you guys are told to cut off your route or change your route depending on what coverage you're, you expect to see. And as a rookie, if you're confused as to what the defense is because there's a couple of veteran safeties back there who are good at disguising and you don't run the right route, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. If you're not in the right place, if he sees his cover two and you don't think it's cover two and he's expecting you to be someplace and you're not, that's how we end up with those balls that the quarterback releases. And we go, who was he throwing to? Well, he was throwing to that receiver, and that receiver is not there where he's supposed to be. So I think there's there's not- some, there's some there's some young receivers who are intellectually and mentally ahead of the curve and can, and can understand disguises and coverage. Um, a little better than you're giving them credit for. Oh, no, I'm not saying that these guys cannot. Are you saying they're stupid, Chad? No, nope, I'm not saying they can't get it done. But as a defensive coordinator, if I knew you were coming to the game with two rookies and a first-year receiver. All right, what yeah. about Corlin Sutton, Jalen Virgil, and Brandon Johnson? Okay, now we got a shot. Now we got a shot because Corlin can, you know, be that. He can help them out. He can have the conversations. He can say what to expect. As soon as they get to the sideline, here's what I'm seeing. This is what the safeties are doing to disguise this. You know, when he does this, he's really just trying to show us this, but it's actually going to be cover three. Those kind of conversations would help. But if it's, again, and I'm not saying these guys can't get done. And I'm, let's, let's replace the actual names and human beings here with just a generic two rookies, and a one generic first-year receiver. Mm. So I'm not dissing these guys. Right. I just categorize them as young receivers. Their ability to do those nuanced details are just going to be lacking at a general level. So if I'm a D.C. going against those receivers, then, yeah, we're going to show some tricky coverages. We're going to do some things to try to confuse them. We're going to disguise stuff. And along the way, I am know I'm going to drive these receivers into mistakes that I'll be able to take advantage of. Because if Russell Wilson has to pat, pat, pat the football, then that's time for us to get a sack. If he expects... Russell uh, Russell ain't pat, 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 and he's pat and bounce. He's <laughs> pat and go. He loves patting and going. Um, I will say that this the, the cool thing about this passing game is every single pass play, there's an answer for everything you can do. Right. Any coverage you throw at us, there is an answer there. Um, and so one guy might have got it wrong. But if one guy um, um, of my five eligible receivers gets it right, I find him, and that's a gain. So, you know, four guys could blow their assignment, but one guy gets it right, and we can move the chains. Thursday, we got the Fan War Room preseason special live from Brothers Barbecue at I-25 in Arapaho. Zach, Orlando, Noshan, James, and Cecil the Diesel will be there from noon to 2. Happy Venice! B-caller number 4. 
right now, 303-713-1043 to win a $50 gift card to Brothers Barbecue. And we'll see you at the War Room on Thursday. Uh, up next for Nate and I is our distraction segment. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.